back to Walk and Chew Gum, where we analyze the worldviews of some of the biggest things in pop culture. My name is Chike. My name is James. Happy New Year. It's 2023. First episode of the year. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. A lot of fun things are going to be happening this year. We have a full year to do this podcast, James. I'm excited for this. How are you feeling? We have lots of topics to hit. Lots of topics. We've yeah. been talking for the last couple of weeks since our last episode that came out towards the end of the year about what we want to do. We've mentioned that on the last episode of some topics we want to do, but you sent me an email recently saying that, hey, we should cover these particular topics. I'm like, oh my goodness, there are so <laughs> many things to talk about. And there's a lot. And we want to definitely expand what we mean by pop culture. When we were talking about this podcast originally, which if you don't know what this podcast is about, Walk and Chew Gum, we have an episode for you. It's our introduction. It's basically we break down the worldviews of pop culture through a Christian lens because we're both Christians. And there are four questions that we seek to answer that. And I think as we've been talking We've been expanding that to other things mm-hmm. in pop culture. Pop culture usually means music, movies, TV, all that. But there are other issues that are largely cultural. Like we did an episode on voting. That is a large cultural issue mm-hmm. that happens in our country every two and four years. And definitely encourage you to check out that episode. Encourage you to check out all of our episodes <laughs> so you can get an understanding of where we're at. And if you've been with us since episode one, thank you for listening. Excited to get into this. Excited for more topics. Excited to bring on guests eventually at a point in the future. And you know who you are if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But excited to get into that. Today is going to be a fun episode because we're going to hit it. We're going to get spicy really, really fast. Our first episode of the year is... This may get us canceled. It's not going to get us canceled, but we may get some strongly worded emails and some strongly worded messages depending on who it is that is listening. But we feel it is important to talk to everybody about these large cultural issues. James, what are we talking about? Today, we are talking about so-called same-sex marriage. Yeah, and this came off of the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act. Yes. That happened in, what, December 13th, right? Yeah, I believe so. December 13th, 2022, President Biden basically codified same-sex marriage and interracial marriage in into law, which codifying basically means that it's in standard, it's basically standardized Yeah, at, at the federal level. And there has been a lot of talk about that. And the reason why they even did that to begin with is because of what happened with Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. overturning. So- Big cultural moment that happened with Roe v. Wade. Big cultural moment that happened with the Respect for Marriage Act. So we thought, and I mean, when I mean we, I mean James thought it would be a good idea for us to talk about this big cultural issue that we didn't get to talk about last year. Which yeah. I think it is important that we talk about same-sex marriage and what marriage is. So anything you want to add to that? Oh, on top of that, there was also the... Um, viral tweet and all the interviews that Amy Grant did as well as a Christian. Oh yeah. 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 For her niece's wedding just around the same time. So there's a lot of cultural moments within, yeah, within our country in regards to same sex marriage. So we thought we would take it upon ourselves to do a couple of things. One of which is we're going to define 
what the biblical definition of marriage is. We are going to take a look at the book, the Bible, and ask ourselves, what is marriage? Mm -hmm. What does the Bible say about marriage? And what does God say what marriage is for? Mm -hmm. So that's what we're going to do uh, the first part of this episode. And then the next part is going to be talking about what culture says. So this episode is going to be broken down into what the Bible defines as marriage and then what the culture defines as marriage. Mm -hmm. And in this larger conversation is going to be two episodes. So this is part one of Mm -hmm. two. This first part is just defining biblically what marriage is and what the culture defines as marriage. And then part two, which is going to come out the next time, which I guess will be a couple of weeks from now, we'll be answering all of the spicy questions that people ask in regards to homosexuality, same-sex marriage, marriage in general, the legalities of it, and what we should do as Christians. So, listener, if you have any questions you want answered, please Email us at walkandchewpod at gmail.com or if you follow us on Instagram at walkandchewpod, please DM us. Or if you know us personally, send us a message mm-hmm. and we will we will add that to our long list of questions that we've already been building out. James made like a 10-page outline for all this. <laughs> so excited to, to get in this. Also really nervous because we know this is a very sensitive topic that, that involves a lot of people. Mm-hmm. across all spectrums of life so we want we understand the gravity and the the sensitivity of this topic in fact james we have some disclaimers before we even get into what we want to talk about today yeah i mean we know that this is very well one of the weightier topics we have dealt with on the podcast so um Chica and i spent a lot of time in prayer reading scripture researching and listening as much as we we could to handle this topic with as much love and truth as possible. And and so disclaimer, before we get going, invariably there is going to be someone who hears this episode, regardless of how careful we are about this topic. There's going to be someone out there who's going to be upset either because we said something or we didn't say something. Right. So, I just simply ask you, the listeners, to afford Chike and me the same grace that you would want if you were in our shoes. As we unpack what God's word says about this very important matter and of which is of genuine concern to so many of God's people. Right. Amen. And on the other hand... It is not beside me that this topic is one of many uh, that many Christians wish would just go away, that they can put under the rug. And some would claim that it gets in the way of the gospel, that it gets in the way of advancing the church, and it gives the church a bad reputation. But my word to you is the gospel is not smaller than this topic. Um, It is bigger. The gospel is all-encompassing, and it is able to handle this matter. So in order for us to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ and catechize ourselves in truth, um, I will turn it over to my brother Chike. Yeah. Just to piggyback on that, the other book I'm going to be quoting a lot, you're going to hear this a lot, is a book 
written by Sean McDowell and John Stone Street. It's called Same Sex Marriage, A Thoughtful Approach to God's Design for Marriage. Now, this book came out in 2013. And so obviously a lot has progressed since that time. And but it is very relevant to even today's. And there's a lot of good truths involved in this. Just buckle in. I'm going to be quoting from this book a lot as well as the Bible, because it's important that we that I want to be able to to get this right and to be quoting people that are way smarter than me is I think is a good idea as opposed to just trying to shoot from the hip. Mm -hmm. But to piggyback on what James was saying about Christians saying that we should just avoid this topic altogether. I'm going to quote from you from the book. One of our first quotes says in this new state of affairs, staying away from the world can seem like the best option. It is certainly easier. Shouldn't we withdraw into the safety of the church, take care of our own and avoid the darkness won't staying quiet on controversial issues allow us to keep the focus of God's love for all people? This route of escapist safety is just escapist safety is just wrong. Christianity is not an escapist religion. To be Christian is to be called into the world, not out of it. Most religions are escapist. For example, through meditation, moderation, and contentment, Buddhism calls its adherents to escape desire and pursue a place of mental peace. Buddhism calls people out of the world. Moving along, it says the center of Christianity, however, is Jesus Christ, the God who put on skin and moved into our neighborhood. The Christian faith is incarnational. God did not merely send a prophet, an angel, or a book to solve the world's problems. He mm. came himself. God and Jesus Christ made himself fully present in the world he made. We must follow his lead. The incarnation establishes the, traje the trajectory of Christian faith. Christianity is no, is no, let's get out of here so we can stay safe from the evil world until God takes us out of here sort of religion. Mm -hmm. Christianity is a faith for the here and now. So I hope you hear those words carefully as a Christian. Because we're, we're talking to Christians. If you're a non-Christian listening to this, thank you again for listening. But we do want to talk to Christians in this matter because we believe that the church has been very wrong in this issue. We haven't done as good as we should in regards to this very sensitive topic. Mm -hmm. If you're in the LGBT community or someone who supports someone in the LGBT community, we love you. This is not an attack against you. This is what we believe as Christians. This is what the Bible says about homosexuality and same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. That we would we would approach this topic like we would with any other topic. In fact, we're going to talk about divorce because the Christians have also failed in the areas of divorce. So, mm -hmm. as Christians, church to borrow what James says is that we need to continually step into these larger cultural issues. And so we're going to get into that today. First, Let's talk about what the Bible says about marriage, the Christian worldview of marriage. So when trying to understand the Christian worldview of marriage, there are two questions that should be asked and answered. Those two questions are, what is marriage and what is God's purpose for marriage? So let's get into what is marriage. And to be able to describe what marriage is, we got to go all the way back to Genesis. So Genesis, it is a God-established institution through which he would equip humanity to populate and cultivate his creation. And you see that in Genesis 2, and this is verses 18 through 24. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. 
Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper to be fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up, closed up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he had made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is Adam, this is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You're going to hear this a lot. I think we can both agree that quoting scripture in very smaller segments segments doesn't give you the proper context. The reason why I decided to quote all of that is so you can understand what it is that is happening in this part of Genesis. But please understand that that verse 24 is establishing what marriage is, is that a man and a woman coming together, holding fast to his wife and becoming one flesh. Now, one flesh obviously means the uh the consummation through sexual intercourse so that's what that means in our context and but it says wife man and wife so god established marriage at the beginning of creation so marriage in and of itself is pre-political so before any society any politics were even established before government even decided to get into the business of marriage marriage was established at the beginning of creation. Mm -hmm. And I have a note here about that. It says it's interesting that God said that it was not good for man to be alone. God is God himself mentions that. Adam doesn't think he's alone. He's hanging out with animals. He has perfect mm -hmm. unity with God in the Garden of Eden. He doesn't know that that anything is wrong, but it's God himself that said that it's not good for man to be alone and that no animal was a suitable helper for him. Mm -hmm. Now we all if you have pets if you have anything, if you work on a farm, animals can be very helpful to you in certain contexts. But God himself said that there was no animal fit to help Adam. So Eve was created to be a helper for Adam, a perfect, uh, like a puzzle piece, fits mm -hmm. right together in perfect harmony and unity to form and fill God's earth. There's, I have more on that when we get to, to answer the second question, but... Yeah, man can form, but a man and a woman through marriage and sex fills. So, again, more on that in a second. Mm -hmm. um, also, the Bible says that marriage is not a two-way contract, but a three-way covenant between God, mm -hmm. man, and woman. And going to the New Testament, Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew 19. And it says, when Jesus, it's already in verse 1, mm -hmm. now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed, him, healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Quoting Genesis again. Mm -hmm. And the two shall become one flesh. So join the, uh, so they are no longer but two, but one flesh. Mm -hmm. What therefore God has joined together, let no man can separate. So not only marriage has been established in creation, marriage is permanent. 
in in the in the biblical worldview. So marriage is not just some thing you enter into with the person you sign a couple papers and you can say I can break this at any certain time which we have allowed to happen because of things like no fault divorce Mm -hmm. no marriage is permanent marriage is saying that I am committing my entire life to this one person so James and I are both married and we understand the seriousness of what it means when we make vows Mm -hmm. making a vow to someone should be treated with the utmost care and respect I know you probably you everyone's been to a wedding and you hear the same vows all the time to have in the hold sickness and health to death do us part. But I think sometimes we miss the importance of what that means through sickness and in health. I will be with you till the day that we die or till one of us dies. So that's that speaks to the permanent. We are lifelong partners through thick and thin. There is nothing that will separate us. Again, it's not a two-way contract. It's a three-way covenant between God, man, and woman. Mm-hmm. Covenant is a lot stronger than a contract, especially when God is the witness in that. Um, yeah, anything anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think um, it, it's it's great. Like you, you definitely. I, I think what you're trying to say is that the Bible has no category by which to call marriage anything other than between one man marrying one woman yes and anything outside of that definition is sin and should be repented of yes anything so it's it also includes one man with you have to be repentant of even relationships with one man and many women or one woman and many men right it is between one man and one woman and Anything outside that needs to be repented of. Right. And that's that's what sin is. So any God is a God of order. And anything that falls outside of God's created order is considered a sin. So hear us when we say that. Because I know the question always gets asked. Is homosexuality is a sin? According to the Bible, yes it is. This is a truth that we stand on because of what we believe about the nature of marriage. What we believe about the nature of God's design. Divorce is also a sin. Adultery is a sin. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we, yes, we're talking about homosexuality and same-sex marriage and Christians do a bad job of making that the biggest sin, the ultimate sin that Mm -hmm. exercises people from the church. No, what we're doing is like, this is the biblical worldview and we know that there were other sins related to this. Same-sex marriage, homosexuality, that is a symptom of a larger cultural narrative that we've allowed to happen for many, many years. And something that speaks more to how serious marriage is, turn to Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16. And this oh, is... Before, oh, yeah, before we yeah. jump into Malachi, I think you you made a really good point about pointing us to Matthew 19, when the Pharisees test Jesus by asking him whether divorce is ever lawful. Right. The question they're asking is a legal question. Mm. But Jesus does not answer it from a Mosaic law perspective, from a legal perspective. Instead, he begins by going all the way back, like you said, to the very beginning, to what God intended marriage to be at and in creation. And he specifically speaks to two aspects, like to how he created humans and what marriage was for. Marriage is between 
or he created humans, male and female, and marriage is about one man and one woman becoming one flesh. So even though the Pharisees asked a legal question, Jesus knows Jesus does not even entertain it from a legal perspective. Mm -hmm. He goes to the very beginning, talks about how he created humans, and then he talks about what marriage is. Right. That's a yeah. really good point yeah. that Jesus and his, his was cunning, not wiliness or what? Wisdom. What's, wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. So Jesus and his wisdom is like, yeah, you're asking me this question, but let me answer it in a way that supersedes anything that's ever mm -hmm. existed. That's why I said marriage is pre-political. Yeah. Because in order to understand what we believe about marriage, we have to go to the beginning. Yeah. What God has created. Yeah. It's pre-mosaic law. It's pre-mosaic law. So it's, it's so important. It's so permanent. And again, going to Malachi 2. This is verses 10 through 16 and Judah uh, Malachi is admonishing Judah. And it says, have we not all one father has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign God, foreign God. This is more of the un, uh, being unequally yoked. We're not talking about foreigners as an in interracial marriage. So I think you can completely take that out of context and say that this is saying that you're not allowed to be in interracial marriages. James and I are in interracial marriages and that is a completely separate thing because there is no sin against skin color. Mm -hmm. This is specifically talking about foreign gods. This is unequally yoked to someone who is a child of God in this instance mm -hmm. so just wanted to make that distinction before someone is like well this, what does that mean and, so, and there's so many examples all throughout the old testament about interracial marriage yes you have joseph who marries an egyptian priest's daughter and then you also have moses who marries a oh man i can't remember where she's from but moses also marries um oh many night yes that's yeah, right yeah, yeah. so just letting everyone out there just making it very clear right that interracial marriage is not a sin and god does not deem that in the bible right just wanted to make that distinction because same-sex marriage and interracial marriage tend to be commingled with one another obviously because of the bill itself they are not the same we'll probably dive into that a little bit later on in this episode and more so in part two of this when we're answering mm -hmm. questions but again because of what scripture says in here. just wanted to make that distinction. Moving mm -hmm. on. Verse 12. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord. The God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. That is some fire coming from malachi about divorce like that's how serious 
the we should be taking marriage because mm-hmm. that's how serious God takes marriage is that it is so permanent that the concept of divorce is God hates divorce. Mm-hmm. That is that is a sin. We do not agree with the sin divorce. Divorce is an ugly, ugly thing. And again, if you're listening to this and if you've experienced divorce, we love you and we will always want to walk with you, always want to talk to you about this. We understand that divorce does happen in our day and age. We never really, we don't wish it upon anybody. Mm-hmm. And it is an ugly, ugly, ugly thing, especially, especially when you have children involved. So we, we do our best to make sure that divorce doesn't happen. And we always pray for reconciliation between couples. But we understand the reality because we live in a fallen and simple world that this does happen. Mm-hmm. And I know how sometimes the Bible can seem can seem like even in this passage, like God does hate divorce, but he still loves our pe still loves his people. We still love you. And we understand that this is it's a serious matter, just like same sex marriage. So mm-hmm. we just want to just put that out there. We're not yeah. condemning you, but we show you grace and love that you should be shown because it's an ugly, ugly thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, just because, um, just because divorce is available doesn't mean that we should take it, but there are situations where it needs to be taken, but that still doesn't take away from the very aspect of what marriage is. Right. The reason why divorce probably is even on the table was because the two people that are in covenant with God, there was faithlessness somewhere in there. Exactly. And that's the the reason why divorce becomes an option in that situation. But again, like Chike was saying, divorce should be dealt with as violently and as atrocious to the Christian faith as much as any other sin. Yeah. But we have, we in our country, in the United States, with no fault divorce being available has definitely um, has definitely put a strain in what we believe marriage is in our country. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that is some of the definitions of marriage. There are so many other scriptures that I'll point to here in just a second. But let's move on to answering the second question, which is what is the purpose for marriages? And so biblically, there are two main purposes for marriage. There is the creative purpose and then the redemptive purpose. Let's talk about the creative purpose real quick. And I've I've talked a little bit about that in quoting Genesis 2, which God created us to be fruitful and multiply. That's going back to Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Did I get that right? That's the correct birth. Genesis 8. We'll say Genesis that, yeah. 1, 26 through 28. Yep. That's be fruitful and multiply, yep. fill the earth, to form and fill the earth. Uh, and throughout creation account, there has been a rhythm of God saying, let there be, and it was so, and it was good. But then what happens with humanity is different. And what he says, let us make, and I'm going to be quoting again from the book written by Sean McDowell, John Stone Street. Excellent, excellent book. So picking up, it says, What God created next is unmatched by anything he has created thus far. Let us make man in our image after our likeness, he said, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Don't miss this very important point. 
the absolute ruler of everything decided to make other rulers. The great sovereign who up to this point in the story has showed himself completely in charge and without rival created human beings to bear his image and to rule for him in the world. They are not puppets, nor have they been granted tourist visas for paradise. They have work to do. Incredibly, their work is the sort of work that God has been doing. Note the instructions. Be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and subdue it. That's Genesis 1:28. Just as God did, they are to fill the earth just as God did, and they are to bring order to disorder. Just as God did, they are to bring life and fullness. In other words, they too, like the ones whose image they bear, are to fill and form. They are to begin this work in the garden and continue in throughout the earth. So Adam, in the story of creation, is doing the task of forming. Mm-hmm. So he is tasked to cultivate this land that God has created, to name the animals, to cultivate land. So Adam has a job. He's doing his job. But that's only one part of what God is doing. God also wants to fill the earth as he has been doing throughout the entire creation account. All six days, God has been forming and filling. He's been forming the earth and filling it with things like water, the trees, the animals, and then human beings. So God says it's not good for man to be alone because because human beings bear his image and it is our task to not only form the earth, but also to fill it. How do we fill the earth? Well, the earth obviously needs more people. So what does God do? He creates Eve to fulfill the second half of the cultural mandate of humanity, which is to fill the earth with other human beings. Mm-hmm. There is a beauty in pregnancy. There is a beauty in having children if you have children you know this very well i cry every time i'm around my kids uh seeing my wife give birth for the first time and the second time it was an incredible experience and i love i love being a dad i know you love being a dad and to just be a dad be a parent and just see other human beings Mm -hmm. in that aspect is great so god has invited us to be that it speaks to the equality of man and woman. Mm-hmm. Although we are distinct from one another, man and woman are very distinct beings and creatures who have different functions, so to speak, biologically. Mm-hmm. There is still an equality between man and woman. And when man and woman come together as one flesh, as man and wife, there is a beauty that creates another unique DNA that is another human that fills the earth. Mm-hmm. What an incredible thing that is in marriage that God joins together that no man can separate to form and to fill another human being that will then go on to do the exact same thing. What a beautiful picture of what God is doing there. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. And I feel like I'm about to tear up just even talking about it. just life, the beauty of life and what God has been doing is so profound. Like there's nothing we can really do. I can't really describe it with words. And what's what what you pointed out was really great was that God was forming and filling the earth for six days, and then He rested. And it's really interesting to note that like God actually didn't finish forming and filling; He actually left the rest of that to Adam yeah. and Eve to figure out. Right? What does it mean to cultivate? What does it mean to form? And what does it mean to fill? For instance, like you see Adam like naming all the animals like he's giving God is giving Adam authority over creation. Right. He's saying I like, said little rulers. Yeah. 
Yeah. You're given dominion over the creation. Right. He's like, go and have authority over them. Not authority in the, in the sense of like something malicious. Right. But in the sense of like, for instance, when we name our dogs or our pets or anything that we have or any animal, I have goats and chickens and every one of them have names. Yeah. Um, God is giving me authority over them, but that word authority comes with a sense of ownership, right. but also comes with a sense of responsibility. Right. In the same way we name our children, mm-hmm. when we when we give them names, like a name is in some ways you can just say a name is just a name. But when we name our own children, God gives us a sense of authority which comes with ownership, responsibility, care for their well-being and that is our job as parents over our children right that's why you that's why we believe that you never go into parenting lightly you never mm-hmm. go into raising children so lightly because of that thing that you said because of the ownership and responsibility portion of that so mm-hmm. yeah that is the creative purpose for marriage so there also is the redemptive purpose of marriage and if you've ever been to any christian wedding or maybe any wedding in general you will see this scripture present it's ephesians 5 22 to 33 i know that can be a fairly contentious bit of scripture based on what i'm about to read right now from the from the first 22 it, it says wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as christ is the head of the church his body and himself is and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that we might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, quoting Genesis again, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife and himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The Old and New Testament place a profound importance on marriage in this redemptive quality and how Jesus represents the groom. The church represents the bridegroom. So marriage is a incarnational aspect of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Mm -hmm. It speaks to, again, the high level of importance that marriage is for creation and for Mm -hmm. what God has made. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to what you said about uh, authority, mm-hmm. I know wives submit to your own husbands is, you know, you get, there's a lot of debates on what, what it means to submit, but as husbands, as fathers, we understand that when it says husbands loves your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When we talk about authority, ownership, responsibility, responsibility aspect is key because marriage gives us a responsibility to protect mm-hmm. and to value our wives and to treasure our wives, to love our wives as we love our own bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we're fallen and sinful, so we don't love our wives perfectly as we should. But as men, as the 
representations of Christ in this analogy, in this example that Paul is giving, that we should be daily sacrificing ourselves to sacrificing our own sin in a redemptive quality to our wives, if that that make sense. We, I'm losing my train of thought. No, no, no. Yeah, we are called to crucify our flesh. Thank you. That's yes, what I'm trying to say. We are called to crucify our flesh for the care and benefit of our family. Right. So I, I think, I, I, didn't, I didn't think we were going to go in this direction, but now that we are. Um, so I, I think this this verse gets a lot of heat, but what I, what I, I want people to understand is, and maybe this comes more for the single folks as well. But for those that are sisters, single, when you are dating and you are out there in the world looking for a man, find yourself a man that you are willing to submit to. That is really hard. There's a lot of character things, you, character traits you have to look for in a man when it comes to who are you willing to submit to? Because it needs to be done with a cheerful heart as well, because that's what marriage is. That's what you are called to do as wives, as a sister in Christ, to submit to your husband. Now, husbands, find, or men, find yourself a wife that you are willing to die for. Mm-hmm. Crucify your flesh for. Amen. That is what men are called to do. So there are two very different things, but I have a daughter my, the thing that I'm going to tell my daughter is you better find a guy you're willing to submit to. And he better be a man that's willing to die for you. Yeah. And to my son, my same thing, you better find a girl that you are willing to die for. Yeah. I have two daughters and I try to model as best as I can, the sacrificial love that Christ displays. And Again, I don't do that perfectly, but I try to love and serve my wife and my two daughters as fiercely as I can. And I always make this joke. It was like, whatever guy that if if marriage is on the table for them, because it may not be the case. Not mm-hmm. everyone is going to get married. Mm-hmm. That may not be the mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But if marriage is going to be in their future, I want that guy to be better, not only like me, but better than me, because oh, I'm going to try. 100%. As, yeah, so yeah. that's always a joke that I like to make, but I'm like pretty semi-serious about that. <laughs> no, I think we should be. We should be. Yeah. Like, um, I actually heard uh, there's a message by Vody Bauckham where he and his son have a, um, I don't want to call it a game, but they are scheming on trying to out love his daughter. His, so the, the brother, sister. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he's like, Hey buddy, we're in this together. We're going to love your sister so much that whatever dude rolls up into our family, yeah, like if he does not live up to you, we get to kick him out. Yeah, and that's I what, love that. Yeah, that's what we you should, should do be that doing. with your hey, son. Oh yeah, <laughs> Liam, you better pull out your pull out the chair for her. Yeah, sit her down, open the door for her, because what's going to end up happening is when she goes on a date and this guy does not open the door for her, she's going to be like, "What is happening?" Yeah, like I have a brother that does this for me i have a dad that does this for me but you who's trying to make an impression on right. me can't even do it yeah that's, i agree that's no, what we are called to yeah do. that's what we're yeah. called to do as men and that is what we're yeah called we to do. yeah as men we could talk about this all day but yeah <laughs> that's a we're talking about marriage so yeah. yes sisters find a man if if marriage is a calling in your life 
Find the man that you are willing to submit to. And husbands or men, find yourself a wife you are willing to die for if marriage is a calling that God has called you to. Yep. That's going to finish off with another quote from the book. (laughs) And it says, marriage does not lose its importance in the New Testament. Rather, it is clarified. Mm -hmm. As created, marriage enabled male and female to reflect God's image together. As redeemed, marriage reflects Christ's love for the church. As created, marriage enabled God's image bearers to spread his rule over all the earth. As redeemed, marriage uh, disciples both current and future generations to spread the gospel over all the earth. As created, marriage is the foundation of social order. As redeemed, marriage commits us to live and restrain our passions for the good of others. Boom, mic drop. And there are plenty of other scriptures that reflect the importance of marriage. And there's another another scripture, Hebrews 13, 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. First Peter 3, 1 through, uh, 1 through 7 shows the roles of wives and husbands. Verse 7 says, likewise, husbands, l- love your wives with an understanding with an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life mm. so that your prayers may not be hindered. Mm. So another also kind of contentious uh, scripture within within the Christians within the Christian space because the word weaker vessel is in there. Weaker vessel does not mean of lesser value. We like I said before, Adam and Eve are co heirs in the creation story. Mm-hmm. One forms, one fills, and mm-hmm. when we come together, we are doing we are fulfilling this profound mystery, as Paul says, in spreading God's. Uh, creation over all the earth. Mm-hmm. It, in fact, I think even calling them lesser value and showing honor to them because they're core eyes, I think it places a higher value on women than men because it shows that women need to be protected and to be valued just mm-hmm. as much as children do because they are biologically more vulnerable than than men are. So husbands love your wives as fiercely and as passionately as Christ does, albeit it is going to be imperfect because we're sinners, but husbands love your wives. We cannot stress this enough daily crucify your own flesh. Um, and then I think the last point before we move on to the cultural dynamics of marriage, if you want some of the most poetic and beautiful depictions of marriage, read the song of Solomon. I know there's always the jokes about song of Solomon because of the various scriptures, but man, song of Solomon is a, is a beautiful beautiful depiction of of marriage between man and woman and i have a quote here that i'm and i'm trying to pull i'm trying to find here we're doing it live <laughs> and it says the purpose of the redemptive covenant is to restore fallen damaged creatures to proper functioning in their humanity therefore obedience to the lord's uh, commands is the right way to enjoy the world god made and it also displays to the rest of the world how refreshingly attractive it is to know the true god the picture of the two lovers in the song of solomon is an ide- is an ideal one as are the character portraits in proverbs the picture provides the pattern into which god wishes to shape and 
to to shape his faithful people, which is also the pattern toward which they will freely give themselves to be shaped. Indeed, one function of wisdom literature is to make that pattern attractive, as the Song of Solomon does in full measure. And the key themes in the Song of Solomon, and I'm reading from the ESV Study Bible, by the way, it says, key themes is God's covenant, which commands sexual purity, provides just the right framework, which is marriage within his people's uh, within his people may properly enjoy the gift of sexual intimacy. Thus, God's people honor him and commend him to the world when they demonstrate with their lives that obedience in such matters brings genuine delight. And two, marriage is a gift of God and is to be founded on loyalty and commitment, which again, going back to Genesis 2:24, hold fast to your wife, which also allows delight to flourish. As such, it is fitting is is a fitting image for God's relationship with his people in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So go back and read the Song of Solomon to get that full picture and understanding of what God's purposes and reasons for marriage are. So mm-hmm. I know there's probably way more and there's more expansive things to define what the Bible defines as marriage, but I think that's a pretty good summation of what the Bible says that mar- the Bible defines marriages. Therefore, we as Christians Bible believing Christians, those who are have placed their trust and faith in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we believe what this text says. We believe in the creation story. We believe God's meaning and definition and purposes of marriage. That is what we believe. So that's a lot. (laughs) And that's a lot to digest. Feel free to go back and go through what I said. Hopefully I didn't talk too fast for all of that but again take a look at the book and take a look at the book same-sex marriage a thoughtful approach to god's design for marriage by sean mcdowell and john stone street fantastic read i highly highly recommend it in light of all of that let's talk about what the world says marriage is the cultural view of marriage today in 2023 so uh, man with all of that being said, it's, I know the cultural worldview of marriage uh, seems very um, shallow. It does, for sure. Um, so obviously, the goal was to, or at least one of the topics was to kind of talk about the Respect for Marriage Act. So let me read some quotes that that came from the speech that uh, President Biden gave at the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act. Um. He's, this is quote, it's one thing, it's one thing for the Supreme Court to rule on a case, but it's another thing entirely for elected re- representatives of the people to take a vote on the floor of the United States Congress and say loudly and clearly, love is love, right is right, justice is justice. That's one. Um, another one that we can point out is, Uh, Quote, my fellow American, that all-consuming, life-altering love and commitment, that's marriage. There are so many issues with just that, those those two quotes. And of course, this is a much longer um, speech that he gave. You're more than welcome to go look for it online. It's on the White House um, website. I have another quote. Oh, go for it. Speech. Yeah. It says marriage. I mean this with all my heart. Marriage is a simple proposition. Who do you love and who will you be loyal and will you be loyal with that person you love? It's not more complicated than that. And a few questions. One question really arises. 
from all of those quotes. What is love? I think if we have more time, I would define what the Bible defines as love, but 1 Corinthians 13 does a good job of explaining what love is. And let's do it. There's also many scriptures that talk about what love is. Yeah. And Jesus himself is the embodiment of what love is, that he sacrificed himself for humanity, died to death that we should have died, mm-hmm. lived the life that we couldn't. Mm-hmm. That is love. That's sacrificing. When we talked about husbands loving your wives by you're sacrificing your flesh at the altar daily. That's the type of love that you're doing because the way that culture defines love is love is, is nothing more than an emotion mm-hmm. and emotions mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. You don't wake up every day happy. You don't wake up every day angry. You don't always wake up in a loving mood. I don't wake up in a good mood to begin with because I don't get a whole lot of sleep. <laughs> so my emotions are different based on the day and whatever circumstances happening. That does not mean I love my wife and I love my children any less. My love for them is 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 great. And there are different forms of love, obviously. I don't know if we want to get into that. Talk about the familial love and then a, a romantic love. But love in general is regardless of what my day is like, especially in a committed monogamous marital relationship, I am still committed to serving my wife and my children. Obviously, I love them fiercely and passionately. I love them so much with all of my heart. And I love being with them every single day. It's a beautiful privilege that I get to be a husband and a father. But, you know, sometimes we get mad at each other. Sometimes we're not always in the best mood. Sometimes our kids are screaming and throwing things all over the place. Doesn't mean I love them any way less. Mm-hmm. Just like how God doesn't love us any less when we screw up, when we sin, when we are, are unrepentant. He still loves us just the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So that is the type of love that Christianity subscribes to. Now, the type of love that the rest of the world subscribes to outside Christianity seems so shallow compared to what Christianity offers as love. Yeah, I mean, we can even actually go ahead and describe what 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6 oh, actually yeah. says. Go ahead. Um, you know, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. In order for us to like really get, you can go into every single one of these words. Patient. Love is patient. That takes a lifetime. I mean, Paul could have literally just wrote love is patient, period, (laughs) and moved on. Oh, yeah. Because being patient towards someone else, it's a lifelong journey. Yeah. Um, Especially those that are close to you because wounds, um, the degree of an offense has more to do with proximity than the actual degree of the offense. So if there is someone who's close to you that causes you an offense, it actually hurts more than somebody who is far from you, who you really don't care about that actually commits an offense towards you because the person that is close to you in proximity in relationship is the one that hurts you the more the most. Yeah. And I think the opposite is true as well. When you hurt someone that when you hurt someone that is close to you, I think it hurts you even more internally mm-hmm. than opposed to hurting someone that is not as close to you. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you are more sensitive emotionally, 
like I am, I think, you know, hurting people. And I mean, we shouldn't do that anyway, but mm-hmm. hurting people, I mean, it's just going to, we're going to disappoint people and hurt people all the time. But the impact for me, hurting someone who is more outside of my social circle mm-hmm. is not as felt as to where if I did something that hurt my wife, I mm-hmm. would feel that far more than someone who is not, you know, on, on, not to say the outskirts, but someone that I don't see every day, much less live with. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, and even, so moving on to the next word, which is love is kind. Kind is a very different word than the word nice. Mm. I think in our culture today, being nice is something that we aspire for, but there's nowhere in the Bible that they use the word nice. Nice is not a biblical Term. True. I didn't even think about that. Kind is a very different thing than being nice. Nice is saying something in some way, flattering someone. Right. That's being nice. And there's a lot of proverbs you can read where it talks negatively about flattering somebody. Mm-hmm. But then being kind is equal part love and equal part truth. Mm-hmm. Speaking to that person and being very clear. Right. but also doing it with a lot of grace. That is being kind because you want what's best for that person, whether that's going to hurt that person or whether that's going to encourage that person. The idea of being kind is very different than being nice. Right. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. So that goes right along there. It's about, being hubris, when you meet someone who's hubris or who's prideful, it makes it really hard for that person to, to show love. It mm-hmm. just seems fake a lot of times. So not being proud, right? not being arrogant mm-hmm. or rude. And that, that goes along the same lines as what I said earlier. Kindness is very different than being nice. But kindness does tell the truth. And it goes along with what comes with the rest of the passage, which it does not insist on its own way. So the question is then which way does it come? Which way does it insist on mm-hmm. God's way? He wrote this. Um, it is not irritable or resentful and it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And the truth is an objective truth and truth comes from the word of God. So with all that being said, and I've heard this, um, I believe it comes from Ali Best Stuckey, which was, you cannot outlove God by disobeying God. Mm, amen. So for those that are out there who are like, I am going to love this person, even though they are living in sin and never calling them out. And what whatever that sin may be, whether they are following false gods, they have other idols in their life, whether they are pursuing multiple partners, whether they are being abusive, whatever the sin may be. Um, and you're like, I'm just going to love that person, but you cannot out love God by disobeying God. So don't be an enabler. Yeah. yeah. It's equal parts, grace and truth. Christian, I hope you hear that it's equal parts, grace and truth. And what you're describing is the grace aspect. It's a slight, it's a, like a spectrum. Mm-hmm. If we lean too far over to the gray side, we will become the enabler and say, I'm just going to love that person. Do mm-hmm. that. Yes, the Christian, we should totally 
always love a person no matter what sin they're in because we are also sinners in need of a savior and in need of grace. So the golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated kind of deal. But it's more it's more profound than just that. But we are loving someone in the way that we want to be loved, in the way that Christ loved us, mm -hmm. that he died for us in, despite our own sin. No one is righteous, no, not one. So that is what James is saying. Now, you swing over to the, all the way to the other part of truth because there is truth to be found in Scripture. Obviously, we've laid that out and defined mm -hmm. what marriage is. The truth is to be found in Scripture. And when you lean all the way over to truth, you become to what the world says about Christians is that we are nothing but a bunch of hateful and bigoted people, which enemies. Yeah. I don't disagree with that sometimes because we do come off like that. And if you're listening to this and if we sound like that, or if we've ever come off like that in our own personal lives, definitely call us out. We were, we will definitely repent of that and we will sacrifice that on the altar. Uh, of cross uh, altar of the cross and we will repent of that immediately because that is not something that we ever want to swing into we believe in the truth found in scripture but we also believe in grace to be lovingly to love someone where they're at and to speak truth over the lives to to I've, there's this quote uh actually from the book I, i've heard this before outside of this book but it says that christianity does not impose it proposes mm -hmm. so we are not to impose in a way that is hateful or bigoted towards people. We are to propose a change of life that only God can, can change. Only mm. God can fix. So only God can mend and change a heart or turn you away from whatever sin that you're in. We as Christians are providing the way to that change. Mm -hmm. And we as Christians are constantly in that case. That's change. That's what sanctification is, is that we are constantly being renewed and rejuven rejuvenated by the Holy Spirit day after day, even though we constantly screw up in our sinners, just sinners that sin all the time. We're, we're not good people. <laughs> so, but we serve God who is good and who is perfect. So mm -hmm. going, we, it's a hard balance. It's a hard balance to be in because everyone's personality is different in how we want to approach different people and how we approach situations. Mm -hmm. So it's going to look different depending on you as a person and also the relationship that you're in. Mm -hmm. So can you speak more truthful to someone based on the relationship? Sure. Mm -hmm. But maybe sometimes you don't need to be as quote unquote truthful or as harsh in that truth with someone that you may not know as well. So it just depends on where you're at, but we should always come at situations and people because at the end of the day, we are all people with feelings and emotions and, and thoughts and opinions and are all created in the image of God. So we should approach each scenario with that balance in mind. Yeah, our goal in the gospel shouldn't be to persuade or convince or change a person's, I guess in this topic, a person's sexual orientation, but it is to change their theological orientation mm. and how they think about God. Yeah. And that is what we are proposing is this is God's way and this is his prescriptive idea and his own prescriptive um, way of marriage. Right. And that's 
that's not that's that's what we are proposing right. and it will go well for you right and because um, you also have to, to think about someone who is in the lgbtq community that is an identity mm-hmm. so our culture has said that people who have same-sex attraction or any of the other letters involved with that but we're focusing on same-sex attraction specifically that is a core piece of their identity. This is why this gets tied to interracial marriage so oftentimes because sexual orientation in ethnic, uh, in ethnic background, ethnic background are one and the same. So me being African American and someone else being a lesbian or being gay are one and the same because we were quote unquote born this way. Mm -hmm. We'll answer that in part two when it comes to those particular questions. But Christian when you are interacting with someone who is in that community, understand that that is, this is something that is a core piece of their identity. We're not going to be winsome by screaming at them and by yelling at them. We need to approach that with, with love and with care. And the church does not always do a good job of that. The big C church church. There are many churches in you know, across the country and even the world that do a really good, that do great work in regards to that. Sean McDowell is one of those people. Read, listened to a sermon him that he he interacts with people in that community all the time, and he does great work by being just just loving to them. And I think we need to approach that because again, you are talking about someone's personal identity, something that is a core piece of themselves. That it, you can't convince someone in a in an afternoon that their identity is not something that they should be. So that takes a relationship. That takes a level of care that, no, it just depends on where you're at with Mm -hmm. that person. So yeah, for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Man, the culture is so, is so about this right now. Like it's been one of the, I think this, this particular uh, moment and also abortion it are two big cultural issues that have been like prominent. Yeah, for in, sure. And for a long time, I don't even know how long. I mean, I it's, feel. it's, I mean, every four years, two, four years that comes around, it is the mo- number top two political topics that yeah. they will bring up as a, um, a concern, whichever political party you belong to. Cause yeah. it is, it is how the country thinks it's, it's basically how our culture is constantly identifying themselves in these two realms. Right. About what someone thinks about abortion and what someone thinks about their gender ideology yeah. or identity. So, yeah, yeah um, let's just go to quick recommendations uh, before we wrap up. Wait, wait, I have a couple, oh. I have a couple more quotes. Oh, all right. Just Here culturally speaking as to what, how people feel about about marriage. This is interesting. I was watching a video on a TED Ed. This is from 2014, by the way. And it says, marriage has always been shaped by society. And as a society's structure, values, and goals change over time, its ideas of marriage will continue to change along with them. That is, a, that to me seems like a scary thought because it means that marriage is fallible and can be molded and shaped by the, the culture that is around us. So if you really want to take that to any logical conclusion, think about that for a second in regards to other various types of marriages and relationships that want to exist in our in our culture. Mm. I'll bring up one example, polygamy. 
So if society decided that polygamy was okay, mm-hmm. we they could legally put that in. In fact, in the Respect for Marriage Act, there's a section here that does not legalize polygamy. They had to put that in into the bill. I don't know if you read that. That's like at the very end of it. But based on that quote and how people feel about how marriage is shaped by the culture that was around it. Mm-hmm. And it's such a weird thing because it's like, all right, their culture could decide that this is okay and something is not okay. And therefore make decisions based on what the culture is, which is completely antithetical to what scripture says is that marriage mm-hmm. has been from the beginning of time defined as man and woman unchanging and forever. Mm-hmm. So interesting thought on that. I think to that point, there's um, there's definitely a, a a big movement. I think it's been a movement for quite some time in regards to marriage, which is it's been about self fulfillment. Mm. There's been there's this kind of kind of cultural mood that's taking place among young adults where that being marriageable, like being a eligible, is that a word? marriageable, yeah, like I am suitable to be married to oh like there's never this, heard of that yeah so there's this like desire like almost like it's this uh badge that you get to wear like a it's like a thing of like success like me being married is success like that's what some people actually view marriage as that's a very like interesting, when i've gotten there so i fulfilled it that's an interesting premise because where would you get that? Where, why does someone believe that marriage is a status symbol of I made it? Where do we? Where would the culture even get that from? It's this idea of probably the good life. When when you think about a culture, and we heard this when we were going through culture, uh, when we were going through the Colson Center, a lot of times um, you can go around and ask them what is the good life, and they will tell you what it all like what they believe is the good life whether that's money having all the women you can have like whatever that means success career all of that but now one of those things in our culture right now is being married Hmm. that there's this desire where it is basically a a badge of honor that you can have that i am married and there's this this desire of achieving individual fulfillment. I mean, I feel like that comes from the Christian ethic of marriage is such a high value or God has placed marriage as such a high value from the beginning of creation is that I think maybe humans instinctively know that the joining of man and woman in marriage, in monogamy and holy matrimony is a great status symbol. I mean, culturally speaking, that's why the government decided to even get into the business of marriage because they recognize that marriage is good for society Mm -hmm. and societies need more humans. But you and I know that once you get married, it's just the beginning. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. It's the beginning of sacrifice, commitment, all the things we talked about in regards to love, learning, recognizing how impatient you are in marriage. Right. Like, learning how broken you are as a person. Right. It's all comes out through marriage. But if, but I think if cult- a society believes that achieving marriage is the ultimate goal, then once you become married, then it's it. Right. You have made the, the means you have now made that an ends rather than a means. 
Right. To yeah, and yeah. that which is, I think, going back to talking to Christians, I think we sometimes fall into that trap mm-hmm. because we place such a high value on marriage, mm-hmm. and it is a high value. Going back to the biblical worldview of marriage, we tend to look at people who are single as less than mm. or as second class citizens mm-hmm. and even people who have gone through divorce who mm-hmm. are single and celibate so if you're single listening to this if that's if marriage is not something that that will be in your life life plan we understand the value that you hold as human beings i mean paul never got married mm-hmm. <laughs> it even says in in scriptures that i wish all could be like i could because mm-hmm. there are things that single people can do that are very effective things for the gospel that married people just cannot because mm-hmm. married people have responsibilities to their husbands and their wives and their children if they decide to have them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we do a bad job sometimes as Christians of not saying that single people, you are also of equal value. It doesn't being married is not a, this being married is not the goal of the Christian. Mm-hmm. Obviously mm-hmm. being married is never the goal of the Christian. The goal of the chief end of man, to quote the Westminster Catechism, (laughs) is to know God and enjoy him forever. That's the chief end of man. Mm -hmm. Being married is but a mere privilege that God has afforded to human beings to reflect his creation and the redemptive purposes. Mm -hmm. So that is not marriage is is a gift. And I I say this because I fell into that a long time ago is I wanted to be married so much is that. I placed my worth as a human being and my value as as a child of God in my relationship status. And mm. in, in being a musician, you play in a lot of weddings and I was a groomsman in a lot of weddings. It's like, you know, never the I think the quote is like always the bridesmaid, never the bride, but in the groom sense, <laughs> always the groomsman, never the groom. Uh and so I did idolize marriage and the Lord did reveal that to me in my own heart that hey marriage is an idol like Mm -hmm. marriage should never be the goal you should be seeking me in my face Mm -hmm. now obviously the lord in his infinite grace and wisdom decided to give me the opportunity to get married which is an incredible privilege and i am happy to this day i still think about it and fills me with so much emotion that i i i cannot explain how much i love being married now, that doesn't always happen. I'm not trying to do a prosperity gospel kind of mm-hmm. thing. But going back to say that marriage is not the end. That is not the end state mm-hmm. for, for Christians. That's it's right. to know God and enjoy him forever. So yeah. single people, I hope you hear that. Yeah, marriage is a calling. Yeah. It is a calling. And as much as it is misconstrued by both law and cultural imagination, marriage is not a right. It is a calling. Ooh, I like that. Marriage is not a right, is a calling. Yeah. So before we wrap up now, yeah. Um, oh, man. Before we even get a recommendation, here's one quote that I really wanted to share from Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. We cannot, therefore, write off the biblical view of marriage as one dimensionally regressive or culturally obsolete. On the contrary, it is bristling with both practical, realistic insights and breathtaking promises about marriage. And they come not only in well-stated propositions, but also through brilliant stories and moving poetry. Unless you're able to look at marriage through the lens of scripture, instead of through your own fears 
or romanticism through your particular experience or through your culture's narrow perspective, you won't be able to make intelligent decisions about your own marital future. Incredible. Man, Go he's Tim. such a good writer. He is. Go Gosh. Tim. Yeah. There's some, man, there's so many good writers. I, I sometimes wish I was that good of a writer, but I... I don't have the, the creativity or the space for that. Don't Swipe. speak that over you, Chige. Just start practicing. <laughs> just start practicing writing? Yeah, just start Yeah, practicing. that's true. Yep. Yeah. So before, yeah, let's get into recommendations and yeah. I'll, I'll close this out. Yeah. So what do, you, what do you recommend right now? What are you reading? Man. What are you watching? Well, uh, actually, it's something you said earlier. I highly recommend anyone, single, dating, married, whatever status you have. Um, listen to Tommy Nelson's Song of Solomon series. Oh yeah, it is. It is so good. It is timeless. I think that was recorded back in like the nineties. Yeah, it seems old. Yeah, and Tommy Nelson sounds like he has a totally different voice back then <laughs> yeah, than yeah. he does now. Um, and they they say things like, "Welcome to the Denton Bible Church Tape Ministry." So you clearly know this is like. Pre oh, yeah. this CDs, is, this is old school, yeah. So compact disc days. Ooh. So yeah, this is pre compact disc days. So it is um, timeless. Um, I go back and listen to it. It is one of my favorites um, of all time, and you can just glean from that so much wisdom yeah. um, in that series. So that's my recommendation. Yeah, that's a good recommendation. And I've been talking about this the entire podcast. <laughs> Same-Sex Marriage, A Thoughtful Approach to God's Design for Marriage by Sean McDowell in John Stone Street. Incredible book. That is a good recommendation for me because I am not, I try to read as much as I can, but I'm not the biggest reader. I'm trying to be better at that. But I got this book, I'm almost done with this book in like less than a week. That's big for me. I've never really done that. So it speaks to how great this book is. Maybe because of this topic that we're talking about, it energized me to read this book more. But you will want to not put this book down because mm-hmm. the words that they say, the way that they challenge the challenge what we believe, how should we how we should approach this and how they're encouraging but also admonishing Christians for how we've failed in this particular aspect. So definitely Definitely cannot recommend this enough. The next episode will be part two of answering all of the questions that you may be thinking, you know, all the questions you may have asked and you want answered. And we're going to try to answer these as thoughtfully and as prayerfully and as biblically as we can. Hopefully this episode was a good jumping off point for you as to what we believe as Christians and what the culture believes. If we got anything wrong or if you think there's anything that we need to add, please reach out to us. Uh, email us at walkandchewpod at gmail.com. Or if you follow us on Instagram, send us a DM. That's walkandchewpod with underscores in between. My name is Chike. My name is James. We'll see you next time. Happy New Year. <laughs>